Welcome. We are your hosts for Bitches Be Brave. This is Heather Hobbs. And this is Bev Steele. And together we are everyday working women trying to raise a family, succeed at our careers, stay fit and healthy, and still look hot. It's our hope to address the issues that we deal with every day and to bring you the knowledge and information from the top experts so that together we can truly thrive and experience wellness in all dimensions of life. And because we care, please remember the thoughts, comments, and advice of this podcast and our guests do not substitute medical advice and you should consult your doctor before starting any new program. And we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at bitchesbebrave at bitchesbebrave.com or visit our website, bitchesbebrave.com or Instagram at bitchesbebrave. Hi, Heather. Hello. Welcome, guys. Episode 37. Oh, gosh. We're getting to 40. Been there, done that. (laughs) (laughs) Same. How you been this week, Heather? I have been good. I think uh, this is an applicable topic today because it's managing chaos. And I'm definitely, I think, living in chaos on a constant basis, right? Like probably all of us are. And um, it's always a good refresher to get back to how do we manage this? How do you kind of get through living life in chaos? Yeah. And I think that we just have to realize that there is going to be chaos and there is going to be interruptions. And I love our guest, Robert, today, how he talks about, hey, how do you handle that? Yeah. I mean, this guy, Robert Heath, um, is an amazing, experienced, he is everything from teacher, coach, attorney, Marine Corps officer, business owner. Um, and he just brings it down and takes, you know, this, all the experience that he's had, but just brings it into us. And how do you manage your life in the chaos from everything? If you're just talking about, you know, getting kids off to school in the morning to juggling work and family, um, and, you know, leadership, if you're in leadership and it's just, it's a lot of key points that I think we all deal with every single day, um, and how we can learn to schedule it and to, you know, manage this in our life. Yeah. And if you love it, stay listening to the end because he has a special treat for all of our listeners. Free books. Yeah. Free stuff. So here we go. We are here today with Robert Heath Sr., who is an engaging communicator and expert in empowering leadership. Over the past 20 years, he's served in many high-level decision-making roles across various industries. He is a teacher, coach, attorney, and Marine Corps officer, and a business owner. He's helped thousands of people to find the empowering leader within them. He's currently the CEO of Legacy Leadership Consulting and somebody that I am just so impressed with and so excited to be able to talk to today. So Robert, thank you so much for being with us today on our show and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm blessed to be here. Awesome. So your story, you have an amazing story and so much experience. I mean, that's a lot of different like lifetimes actually that you've already lived in all of your careers. <laughs> and for somebody <laughs> who's been with like one company for many, many years, it's, it's so impressive. And so tell us your story and kind of, you know, what led you to these, these different careers and then now to today where you are, you have this legacy li- leadership, you know, consulting company. And so tell us your path and what brought you here. All right. Well, 
Well, as you said, I've done a number of things. I like to consider myself a career renaissance man. Um, some people might say I have career ADD. I'll let you choose after you hear the story. Um, but really, it started off with just a desire to help, a desire to make the world a better place. Growing up in high school and, and, and growing up, I'm from Chicago originally. I did a lot of work in Chicago helping um, with my church and with a lot of other things growing up, trying to make the neighborhoods better, make them safer. Um, and so I really wanted to help community. And so I went to get my master's degree. I became a teacher. I taught Spanish and coached basketball for about six years. And one of the interesting things that I saw was, you know, in our schools, teachers, everybody knows that nobody goes into teaching for the pay or for the hours, right? People go into teaching because they're really diehard. They really care about making a difference. And the attrition rates, you know, teachers leave teaching 50% by five years, 80% by 10 years. And I was looking at what were some of the reasons behind that. And it was leadership, right? And I, in my opinion, it was poor leadership. And not poor leadership from people who weren't trying to be good leaders, but poor leadership from people who just didn't know how. They didn't understand how to lead their peers. They didn't understand how to solve problems for them. And so you saw those things happening. And I knew that something had to be different. My goal was to eventually be a superintendent when I was doing that. And um, I pivoted because I understood that I the people who I was learning from weren't qualified or, or didn't know how to solve this problem. So I need to go find it somewhere else. So I went, I went to law school um, to really understand how our systems are set up, how we fund schools, how business and schools interact, how communities interact. And then also went to the greatest leadership Academy on the face of the planet, United States Marine Corps. And I became a United States Marine Corps officer. Um, and that for me, you know, was the capstone in that, experience I became I was a, a lawyer as well in the Marine Corps and I did a lot of work um, doing litigation and things like that I wound up being one of the winningest defense counsels in the history of Camp Lejeune but my real leadership kind of trial by fire was when I became a company commander um, in, in my third year as a Marine Corps officer I was company commander of Bravo Company um, of headquarters support battalion on Marine Corps base Camp Lejeune and during that year that I was company commander I went from 220 Marines and Sailors, which was one of the smallest companies in the battalion, to a reorganization that gave us 380 Marines and Sailors by the end of it, one of the biggest companies in the Marine Corps. Um, and that time really helped me to hone all of the skills that I had kind of been training up until that point in time. And a lot of the stuff that I put in my book and that we teach with legacy leadership, mm -hmm. I learned during that period of time. So that's kind of my journey. And now what we do is we help leaders to do more with less by properly leveraging the talents of their team. My goal, my mission is to get, you know, over 10 million legacy leaders in the next 10 years, people who understand that we're changing the definition of leadership from focusing on results and focusing on credit to being leaders, leadership being facilitating the manifestation of greatness in others. I love it. I love it. Hey, I just learned something new about you. I'm also married to a basketball playing attorney. Just uh -huh. <laughs> and his there name's Bob. Go. Is that crazy? Nice. Just... There you go. He must be awesome then. All right. <laughs> well, there's like so many different ways we could go with just your bio and your experience, but I really want to dig into your new program, Thriving in Chaos, because I really think that Heather and I live thriving in chaos every day. <laughs> And our listeners, we're all, you know, we are, you know, trying to do the best, trying to uh, reach our goals, but also be all that to all people, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be at home. And really want to dig into that piece of your. All right. 
Definitely. No, I, I, I appreciate it. And that, this was what I was really excited to share. This is actually a program that we're really focusing on in Legacy Leadership Consulting right now. We're, we've actually built out a program, a platform, so that there, we have a distance learning program and so that we can help people all over the country to actually learn how to thrive in chaos. And, and a lot of people say, well, what does that mean, you know, kind of thriving in chaos? And what I talk about is we help leaders at every stage of leadership. And there's three different stages that we talk about, right? In the beginning stage, you're going from being led to leading yourself. And that's a tremendous you know, challenge. And we'll come back to that because that's the thriving in chaos challenge. But then the second step of leadership is when you go from leading yourself to leading other people. And that's, you know, the book that, 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 that we've talked about before that we kind of referenced my book, Why Can't People Just Do Their Jobs? Mm -hmm. That's what that really talks about, that transition of going from being a doer to being a leader. But then there's that third transition, which we talk about, which is kind of organizational leadership, institutional leadership, where you're looking actually at how do you lead when you're not there, right? Mm -hmm. How do you create systems that work for you and that help your, to develop your team and to be able to lead themselves so that you can go and work on the business instead of in the business? But that first transition is one of the hardest that people go through, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what people don't understand is it's not an issue of do we know what to do? We've seen how to be a good leader, how, be a, how to be a productive person, how to get things done. There's, you can go online, you can find blogs, you can find articles, you can find all the rest of that type of stuff. And many people have read it, been to seminars, been to workshops. But the issue is not that we don't know how to do this stuff. The issue is we don't know why we're not doing it. And that's really what I want to help people with. That's what my Thriving in Chaos program is about. It's teaching you the five steps to mastering your time, right? To setting and enforcing boundaries and to interruption proofing your life. And the key there is what people have to understand is that all we've been taught our entire lives from school to high school to college and once you get into the workforce, the same thing. We're taught how to follow rules. We're taught how to color within the lines. We're taught how to do what's expected of us. And that conditions us a certain way. It conditions us to look for external, outside approval of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Once you make the transition of going to leading yourself, the interesting thing is you're the person that has to approve what you're doing. And we haven't been taught how to figure out what we want. Mm -hmm. And so that's step one of the five steps, right? We talk about defining success. That's one of the most important things that people have to learn how to do is to define success for themselves, right? Many of your listeners are juggling a number of different roles. They're moms, they're business owners, or they're in corporate America, they're on boards, they're working at the church, they're wives, right? You've got all of these roles that you have to juggle and you've got all of these people who are asking you to do things. And it's really difficult to decide which one is important if you don't first know what is what does success mean to you? Yeah, I love that you say that because I know one of the things that I've heard you talk about, you know, is aligning with your purpose, right? What's your purpose? And asking yourself, does what I'm doing right now, and this is a post we actually had recently in Instagram, was like, is what I'm doing aligning with what it I actually want to be doing, right? Um, exactly. I think that is the hardest part. And I can I can say just kind of coming as, as being a mom, um, I mean, it's like, I think you, you know, you learn and you have examples of how to do things at home, right? How to be a mother mm -hmm. or how to, that alone is a lot of juggling. But then when you add on top of that, the responsibilities of career and mm -hmm. whatever those responsible and leading, but it's like, you don't, 
have anybody to tell you how to manage both of those things and exactly. how to try to, to really juggle that. So I love when you talk about maybe you can kind of expand on how is it that you identify and how do you keep yourself in check and aligning yourself with that purpose? Right. So the first thing, like we said, is defining what that is. A lot of people have a hard time just deciding what they want, yeah. right? And that's a process. That's a skill that you, that you have to work on, right? And so much of us, has, has, so much of our lives have conditioned us to not really think about what we want in specifics. We think about it in vagaries and, you know, platitudes and nice sounding things. I want to be a good mom or I want to be a good parent, right? What does that actually mean? How many games are you at? How, how often are you picking your kids up from school? Are you dropping them off at school? What are you doing? What does that look like for you? How do we define what success looks like? And generally, I take um, my clients through and, and what I'll ask them is, what does success in your health look like? Right? We get a very good picture of that. What does success in your finances look like? You get, get a very good picture of that. And we define that so that now we know where we're trying to go. Right? If you were going to take a trip, you wouldn't just say, I want to go over there right? Because you take one step that way and you're there. (laughs) But you say, I want to go to California. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to, you have to define where you're going. Otherwise, nobody can help you get there. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, that's the first point. And, and, and after that, setting your priorities is the next step. And, And a lot of people think that defining success means that your priorities are then set. No, defining success tells you what it looks like when it's good. Setting your priorities is the steps that you're going to take to get there. And so when you set your priorities, there may be 10 things that you can do in a day. All 10 of them may be in alignment with where you're trying to go, but there's a certain order that they need to be done in. And that is something, another skill that you have to learn how to do. And so often we allow our priorities to be set, right? A lot of people think of time management as managing the priorities that are in your life, right? That's just jumbling around priorities that other people are setting for you. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to set your priorities, which are in alignment with your definition of success, right? So we'd have people look at, what do you, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? And now, if you were to do something this year to get you a step along the way, what does that look like? And then we break it down by quarter, and then we break it down by month, and then we break it down by week, and then we break it down by day. We call it, right, eating the elephant one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, have used that adage before, but we actually show people how to do that. Because if you just take bites all over the elephant, what happens is you still got a whole lot of elephant left, even though you've done a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But instead, we break the elephant down into sections, and then we break it down into chunks, And then we break it down into pieces and then we break it down into bits and then we break it down into bites. And then you can see the progress and that positive reinforcement that you get because now this piece is gone, right? Every year you're getting closer to your goal. Every month you're getting closer to your goal. Every week you're getting closer to your goal. That's what people need. And that all starts with defining success and then setting your priorities. I think this is so important, especially for the younger person entering the workforce is that's not something that's taught. You know, it's not mm-hmm. taught when they're going through the high school and they got to get this grade and they have to get this GPA and then they go to college and you know they're going for the degree. And really coming into the corporate world, they're like, okay, tell me what to do. And mm-hmm. really success within a corporation is really, hey, what job do I want? Well, who do I want right. to emulate? It's not gonna be given to you. You need to step it up and those are the, types of people that are, 
are promoted. Right. Exactly. So, and what's, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so like, are you seeing that there is a, a shift in the younger employees and how is that really, how are companies, you know, supporting that in that change? Well, I think that one of the things that happens is there's a shift in attitudes because younger employees, the millennials are coming in knowing a lot more about what success kind of means to them in the abstract. So they have a view of how they want the world to change and they even have a view of what they want work to look like. But again, defining success is just one part of the formula, right? We've got five steps. Defining success is one part. So they're coming a lot further in being able to say, this is what I want, but then they're, they're struggling over the next four steps, right? Setting priorities. That's the next thing that's difficult because the, the world that we have, every, even for the millennials, they've already always had their priorities set for them, even though they were able to decide what they wanted to do, quote unquote, right? And, and that's how school is. We go in school, remember, you get a report card. Every time you take a test, you get a grade. Every time you take a quiz, you get a grade. You get instant feedback on whether you're doing good or bad immediately as soon as something happens. And then you get a report card that's never a surprise because it's just all of the grades that you've been getting the entire year. And then you get to corporate America, you get to, or for my entrepreneurial fans, then it gets really crazy, right? At least in corporate America, you get quarterly or semi-annual or annual reviews where you get somebody letting you know, hey, nope, you're, you're not on track or you're on track. But just think about that jump. I'm getting daily feedback to I've got to wait 90 days or 180 days or a whole year. Some of my clients, some of the companies that I've worked in, they do annual reviews of employees, right? Mm-hmm. That's just crazy. And so people are scrambling for that whole year, having no idea whether they're doing a good job because you get those amorphous kind of, we want to increase sales or increase revenues or whatever by 10% over last year, or you want to decrease costs by 10% over last year. And we've got 365 days to figure this out. So I love in your, in your book, um, why can't people just do their jobs, which I had mentioned before, I thought was a phenomenal book. Um, and I'm a tough critic on leadership books because I usually get really bored and can't get through them all. And yours, I like powered out in one day and like loved it. Um, but you talk about, which we've all heard smart goals, right? Come up with smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, but I like how you use an example in here just about how people have like your new year's resolutions and you use the example about wanting to work out, right? you want to yes. get yourself in better shape or you want to work out and how you truly can break that down and why we go wrong, right? Like so many mm-hmm. people fall off and don't meet their object- objectives, which I'm definitely one of them. Um, <laughs> I'm part of that club <laughs> as well. <laughs> but is, this, is this kind of what you're talking about now, right? And I want you to maybe walk people through mm-hmm. your method of like taking the regular goal, which is, you know, we'll just use the example that you used in the book of working out more this year um, yes. to truly because of what that's what you're saying right now like how do you have something that you're measuring yourself almost on a daily basis that's a, that's a small doable goal but it's definitely getting you to the bigger goal but if you look at just exactly. the big goal, no one's going to get there because it's so big you just ah, i can't do it you know exactly that's a great question thank you thank you for asking that and and and, and i like the the analogy and that that's in the book because I feel like everybody can relate to it. Everybody's made a new year's resolution. Right. And it sounds great. I want to work out more this year than I did last year. Nobody's ever going to tell you that's a bad resolution. No, that's horrible. How, how dare you say that? Right. 
everybody's gonna be like, that's awesome. And they're gonna cheer you on and they're gonna say, go ahead, do it, yes. Now here's the problem with that though. What does more mean? Yeah. Right? It sounds like a great word, but it's hyper in specific, right? It doesn't actually mean anything unless we have something to measure it against. And in order to do that, we have to know how much you worked out last year. Because if you, all, if you didn't do any work, if you did two workouts last year, January 1st and January 2nd, once you hit January 3rd, you're done with your goal for the year. But, and here's where it falls apart. You're done with your goal for the year, but you'll still feel like a failure next December 31st because you didn't work out as much as you wanted to work out, but you actually accomplished your goal. And so oftentimes we set our goals in such a way that they're not actually aligned with our desires. They're not actually aligned with our definitions of success. And so we've got a lot of people who are accomplishing their goals, but then are moving the goalposts and not celebrating the victory. I'm guilty of that. <laughs> yes. Or, or is it kind of an easy out? If you don't really get honest and say, I, what, you know, I'm going to work out more. You kind of leave yourself a gray area as well, right? Because you do. Maybe I did some more, maybe. But when you get very specific, then you know it's quantifiable. You're going to be like, okay, did I do those things? Yes, and that's the the interesting thing about it is most people, it's a it's a subconscious or an unconscious thing that I'm saying this thing that is good, but I actually don't know how much work it's going to be. I don't. And so it's actually scary. So I, I leave it vague because it's scary to look at that thing, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things you talk about all the time is about being brave, right? Part of being brave is being able to look whatever it is that you've got to face, whatever fear it is, whatever mountain you have to climb, to look it in the eye and to decide, I'm going to tackle this. Yes, I'm scared, right? Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the thing anyway in the presence of fear, in spite of the fear. And so that's one of the things where so many people have to understand that it actually makes it easier when you're specific about your goal, because this is the beauty, right? And as you go through and as we talk about this, one of the things I want your people to, to, to understand is that this isn't about perfection, right? This isn't about never making a mistake. That's not the way that this works. Successful people are mistake makers. Successful people are risk takers. Successful people mess up all the time. One of my favorite adages it says, the master at anything has failed more times than the novice has even tried. Yes. So good. And it's so important that we, that we remember that when we're going for goals, when we're trying to better ourselves, when we're trying to improve, when we're trying to learn how to thrive in chaos, you've got to understand that thriving is not perfection. Thriving is alignment in spite of the chaos. That's so good. I, you use that quote in there too that, say, that said, you always fail forward. And I yes. loved that. I, yes. I think, um, and I am, and Beverly calls me out on this all the time. I, I get stuck in the perfectionist piece. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's what I really loved about your book. And um, we, we said this earlier, I, I was floored, by the way, because once you read all of your many degrees and certifications and variety of, you know, experiences that you've had to hear you talk about how you said you have imposter syndrome. And I've talked about this. I mean, I think it is definitely something I struggle with, but I felt like 
I was justified to struggle. <laughs> 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 permission to, but um, and you talk about that it comes back to that perfectionist piece mm -hmm. that it's about us needing and feeling, you know, that we have to be perfect and therefore we never just, we never get through, we never move forward. Um, we get stuck in, in that rut. Um, exactly. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. I mean, if, I'd love for you to expand on that and how yeah. that you were just talking about the perfectionist piece and how that just impacts. Yeah. All yeah. It, it, it impacts so much and it's, it's such a destructive force, right? I am a car carrying member of the recovering perfectionist mm -hmm. brigade. Um, <laughs> I still struggle with perfectionism. Um, but one of the things that I teach my clients and one of the things that I tell myself all the time, done is better than perfect. Yeah. Right. And the reason why is once it's done, once it's out, once it's into the world, we can always make changes. We can always make it better. There's an iterative process of how we can improve ourselves. And that's actually how we learn. We learn through pattern recognition. So you do things and then you have a pattern interrupt and now you start to understand the pattern. You go through and now you can start to anticipate the pattern. That's how we get faster. That's how we get better. And it, it's funny that you, that you talk about it, right? I felt like, I too felt like I um, deserve to have imposter syndrome, hence <laughs> the imposter syndrome. Although there are a lot of people that might tell me not that it's not the case. When I look at your resume and I'm like, what, you have imposter syndrome? That's crazy. Why would you ever think that you're not amazing, right? But that's the way that we feel. And what's another interesting thing, when I was doing the research on imposter syndrome, it affects high achievers more than it affects kind of the normal population, right? And one of the reasons why is because we have the biggest tendency to move the goalposts. We have the biggest tendency to not celebrate when we accomplish what we set out. I'll give you kind of an example from when I was in the Marine Corps, right? I wanted to run the Marine Corps Marathon because I hate running. Mm -hmm. I joined the Marine Corps. It's a weird thing. It was a challenge. And I knew it was going to make me run, which I hate. And mm -hmm. so, therefore, I was going to have a job that made me do it. So, I was going to stay in shape. It was going to be great, right? But then now I'm a Marine Corps officer and Marine Corps officers, like there's marathoners, cross country guys. So like, I thought I was doing pretty good. I ran a 22 minute, three mile run. Right. But there's guys that are out there that are running in 15 minutes and 16 minutes. Right. And, and just lapping me and making me look crazy. And I'm like breathing and huffing and puffing while I'm going down, you know, down the road. So I go and I'm like, I'm going to run a Marine Corps marathon. That's going to be my, I've run a marathon. I'm good. I have done the runner thing. Only 0.5% of the population in America has run marathons or something like that. So I'm like, yes, I'll do that. Now, while I'm training, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to go for an eight-mile run. All right? So I go for my eight-mile run. Now, here's the crazy thing. I get to mile seven and I'm feeling good. Now, at the beginning of the run, mind you, I didn't want to go run at all. But mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to do this run because it's in my training plan. I'm going to make it happen. That was what my mental state was. By mile seven, I'm like, oh, I can do pretty good. So I started running a little bit faster, right? And I do my eighth mile faster than I did my first seven miles. But here's what I tell myself at the end. Well, you see how you still had a whole bunch of energy. You could have ran harder, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And that is, is quintessential shifting the goalpost. I didn't want to run eight miles at all. So the fact that I accomplished eight miles and that I was running faster at the end is amazing. But that wasn't what I would tell myself. What I would tell myself is you could have done better. And what I learned from one of my mentors was to shift that thinking and to understand that that's not a critique of what you did because what you did is way better than what you were trying to do. It's actually a hopeful sentiment for the future because now you can set your goals higher because you know you're capable of more, whereas you didn't think you were capable of more before you went and showed yourself that you were. Mm -hmm. 
And that change was so impactful for me. And that's really where kind of in defining success and setting priorities and understanding how to do this in the Thriving Chaos program, we teach people how to set their priorities, how to set their schedules, right? Because the next step we talk about step three is scheduling your priorities, mm -hmm. right? That's something that a lot of people don't do as well. We then we know what we want to do, right? And 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 we we may put them on a to-do list, but amazingly they never show up on our calendar. Amazingly, they never get blocked off. Amazingly, a phone call happens or something else happens, and our priorities are no longer priorities, right? And so when you schedule your priorities, if you have a meeting with somebody, if somebody calls you and tells you, you got a meeting at 10 o'clock and somebody says, hey, can, you, can, can I talk to you at 10 or can you be in my office at 10? You're like, nope, sorry, I got a meeting at 10 o'clock. But we don't do that for our priorities. We don't do that for the things that we need to do. If it's phone calls, if it's um, recitals, if it's games, if it's whatever you're doing as a parent or as a corporate person or whatever, that's the thing that I had to learn. I mean, in the Marine Corps, same thing. I'm an officer 24 seven when I was a company commander. Literally, I'm on the job 24 seven. My wife will call if I'm in a meeting, if I'm doing something, if I'm busy, I'll talk to you when I get home, babe. I'll just let it go to voicemail. Unless she leaves a, a frantic message, I know it's not an emergency, I will go. And what did that tell my wife? It told her that she wasn't as important as the job. It mm -hmm. told her that there were things that were more important to her, which is the exact opposite message that I wanted to send my wife. I wanted to send her, you're the most important thing in the world to me. There's nothing that's more important than you. And I had to start recognizing that. And so now I had a meeting today. I was with a business owner. We were talking about um, how I could help his company out. My wife called. I was like, excuse me, this is the only call that I stop anything for, but I have to take this call because I take, whenever my wife calls, I take that call. And so I stepped out, you know, I stepped out and took the call because that's a priority to me. And you know what's amazing? I was scared of what people would think about that there's never been a person that hasn't respected me for taking that position. I love it. That yeah. is, that's, that's great. I wish and my husband would I do that. I hope she wasn't tell telling you to get some milk or something. <laughs> I know, I was gonna say, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I'm just like, oh, I'm having a sad moment. We just <laughs> no, well, we have had the conversation about, you know, you know, she has my schedule. She knows when I'm in a meeting or something that's a like lot that. Of pressure. So it it yeah. will be important. <laughs> um, but but she also knows that I will answer the phone when she calls, awesome. and that was that is important to me because that keeps me in alignment while yeah. I'm going through my day. I'm not feeling like oh man, I missed three calls from my wife today, even though I had a a banger day and got everything done that I was supposed to do. There's that thing that can pull it away because I wasn't in alignment with my priorities. I think that that's like a good point too. Like if I knew that, if I knew every time I called my husband, no matter where he was, if he's in the middle of a meeting, he was in a pickup. Like I'm gonna very well make sure that what I am wanting to call him for is going to be really important and not just me whining about something. So I like Exactly. That. I would like that if my husband would return a text, but that's a different <laughs> podcast. So, <laughs> I, just, I just want to go back kind of to the goal when you were talking about running, you know, the eight miles. I think there's definitely that uh, when you reach those goals, taking the moment to celebrate. Mm -hmm. but I also think for those individuals that are just starting out, to realize mm -hmm. just doing a little bit. Like I think that the, they think the goal has to be so big, but I had, I had listened to a podcast recently a, a, about a bodybuilder and mm -hmm. she was talking about the fact that at the beginning of her training is when she can eat the most and work out the least. Mm -hmm. Like just starting to eat a little bit less, work out a little bit more, that you can gradually lean into that exactly. and then into the goal. So I, I really think that, you know, we do have to celebrate those big monumental ones more. It's not like mm -hmm. the next 
next goal, but you also need to realize you don't have to make the goal so big. Exactly. No, I, I agree with you. And that's kind of what we talk about. How do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. What people struggle with is how to break those big goals down into smaller segments and smaller goals. And that's a, that's a struggle that everybody has the world over. And one of the reasons that people have that struggle is because they, they see this big thing and they feel like, if I'm not doing that, then this must not be important. Or they get so scattered and they don't know how to put the pieces in order such that they're actually going step one, step two, step three, step four. And that's why in the Thriving Chaos Program, we literally help people to break their goals down. We start with your, your kind of life's purpose. Why are you here? And then we look at in the next 10 years, where do you see yourself? And then we break that down and we say, okay, over 10 years, that's 10 different steps, right? I love this quote. Um, and it's, it's had different attributions. I've seen Dean Graziosi say it. I've seen Bill Gates has said it, but it's basically, I've seen Tony Robbins has said it, right? Basically people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and they underestimate what they can accomplish in five. And that is what's so important. When you're starting small, you're not starting small and only doing this small thing. What you're taking advantage of are the laws of inertia and momentum, right? Mm -hmm. And there's, in the course, there's a dom it's called the domino effect. There's the basic idea is that with dominoes, a domino falling over can topple a domino one and a half times its size. And so one of the things that we show in the, in the course is that we start off with a domino that's one millimeter wide by five millimeters tall. And 11 dominoes later, there's a, a domino that's over one meter tall and weighs over 100 pounds. And so just tipping that one little domino and one and a half times, one and a half times, one and a half times, 11 dominoes later, there's this huge slab of concrete that falls over. And the funny thing about it is if you went from 11 dominoes to 29 dominoes, the 29th domino would be the size of the Empire State Building. Wow. That's so we've got, so right, you've got to start with moment, you've got to start small and keep the momentum going. If that momentum ever stops, that's the problem. So what we have to look at is how do we keep ourselves going over this 10 years instead of how do I do a whole bunch right now? Mm -hmm. And yes. that's what the Thriving Chaos Program is, is so focused on because at the end of the day, right, and this is what we talk about step four, right? Mm -hmm. Step four is how do you handle interruptions? Because they're going to come, right? So you've done, you've defined success for yourself. You set your priorities. You've put them on your schedule. You're ready to... To, to, to tackle the world, right? And, and here I am, world, hear me roar. And then you get to the office and you check your email. And somebody needs a report right now, mm -hmm. right? That is a decision point that if you're not prepared for it before you get there, you're gonna default to your conditioning, to your training, which is I need to do what everybody else thinks will make me good will make my reputation well, will get me, will keep people happy with me because I don't really know how to define what good is. And I'm worried about whether they'll agree with my definition of good. The interesting thing about that is that's the worst thing that you can do because you teach people how to treat you. You teach people what's acceptable for you, right? Mm -hmm. When you allow people to send you emails and that's gonna jar your day or when you allow people to call you and they expect you to call them back without them leaving a message just because you saw their phone on their call on the caller ID. What you're teaching them is you don't have to have a plan when you come talk to me. You don't have to have set your priorities and be able to explain why this is important and be able to have the discussion with me about here's the things that I need to get done today. How important is this thing? Can I get it to you tomorrow? You teach them that 
when they want something, they need to call you because that's who you are. You're the person that'll make it happen. Mm -hmm. And then you start living up to that reputation over and over and over again. And it really gets exhausting. And so many people that I see, they deal with overwhelm and they deal with anxiety and they deal with decision fatigue because now you've got not only the decisions that you've got to make in a day, but you've got to make decisions about everybody else's problems, right? I, I, I always have a little, um, a little fire extinguisher <laughs> when I go into corporate meetings and everything, right? Because everybody's always firefighting, right? And if, if it was just your to-do list, you'd be amazing. But when everybody comes to you, because this is the funny thing, success, the trappings of success, you're the problem solver. You're the one who can get it done. So what are people going to do? They're going to come to you and say, hey, can you fix this for me? I mean, but that takes a lot of confidence. I mean, to, to say no to things, right? I mean, I think about it in all aspects of life. Like mm -hmm. to say no to somebody or to mm -hmm. say, I don't have time for this. Um, I mean, I would see the struggle with that, right? Like myself, like, yes. oh, they're going to think I can't. They're going to think that I cannot balance my time. I mean, they're going to think the opposite mm -hmm. of what you're actually mm -hmm. trying to do. Right, that's exactly what we But is it so necessarily a, I, I was Go just going to say, is it necessarily a no? Or is it something in your mind that says, I have to do this now? And you said, oh, yes. I'm doing this. Can I get that to you tomorrow? Oh, sure, that's fine, Heather. Yes, exactly. Yeah, is their priority what you think it is? You're right in the right place. And that's the whole thing. This is all the talk that's going on in our head. Oh, if I say this, they're going to think that. Like we're yes. mind readers, right? You'd be getting paid a lot more money if you were a mind reader. I'm just saying. <laughs> right that's the whole thing right i always tell people i'm like if i was a mind reader like you couldn't hire me for what you're paying me right now yeah just like i'd be way, work way more and the whole idea is this people actually respect you more when they know that you know what you can and can't do and it's not saying i can't it's not saying i'm not gonna do it it's saying here's what my priorities are talk to me about why i should rearrange my priorities to do your thing hmm convince me that your thing is more important than these other things that I've already decided are important. Most people will not feel like they're, they're that important. But if you don't give them something else that's more important, then of course they're like, sure, do this right now. And people are like, but I can't tell my boss that. Here's the deal. And again, I was a lawyer in the Marine Corps. One of the worst things you want to do as, a, as an advisor to a commander is say no, right? Mm -hmm. The commander's like, hey, I want to do this. I want to figure out how to get it done. This is what I want to do. You get fired really quickly if you become the no guy or the no gal, right? Like that's not, that's not the way to make it in, in the Marine Corps. But there's a, there's a different way to say no because here's the deal. When somebody's coming to me and asking me to do something, they're not asking me to do it at 20%, at 10%. They don't want that from me. They want me. They want 100%. They want what I'm, what they, what I'm known for, that reputation that I have. And so what I'm presenting to them is here are the things that are in the way of me giving you what you want. Now, I want to give you what you want as well. Let's figure out a way that you can either get it from me or I can give you 100% of me right now in this 30 seconds to a minute of figuring out how you can get it from somebody else. People will respect that because you're respecting their time. Mm -hmm. Instead of giving them all the excuses down the line about why it's gonna be five minutes later, why I need more time, and oh, I'm sorry, I thought I had enough time, but I didn't because this thing happened, and, right? All of those different things. Think about how you feel when somebody says, yes, I'm gonna do that. And then you get that ominous email that tells you, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't able to do that because something came up, Yeah. right? What about the person that calls you and says, hey, I don't really have time to do that right now, but I can probably get to it a little bit later. How about I give you a call later today? 
can you wait that long? You say, yes, I can. And then they call you back earlier than you thought they were going to call you. How does that feel? Mm-hmm. Right. That's-, that's what we're trying to create. And that's how you handle your interruption. What you do is you don't, you don't become the no person, right? And Gary Keller said it like this in his book, The One Thing. He said, if you say yes to something, that means you're saying no to everything that's not that thing, whether you say it out loud or not. In order to get something done, in order to truly say yes to something, you have to say no to everything else. People understand that. That's natural. You can't be at your son's game or your daughter's game and in your chair at the office. Like the two don't exist. Well, and I think that's really what happens, right? Because you're saying yes or doing this, just reacting. And by the time, the end of the day, your husband says, hey, honey, can you? And you're like, no. (laughs) Exactly. And And they're like, no. It's so important that you point that out because we say no to the people we care about and love the most because we know that they will forgive us for saying no. What if you could say yes to the people that you love the most, right? And that was literally, that was... That was the conviction that I had. That was what I realized. I was like, if it was my boss calling, I would pick up the phone. Right. But because it's my wife calling, I got an excuse because she'll understand. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nah, I'm going to make all these other people understand from now on. Because last time I checked, I've been married to her for 13 years. Mm -hmm. I've only been working with them for six months or for a year and a half or however long it was, way less time than than we've been together. And that was the big thing. That was the real change for me. And I had to learn it too. But it's not saying no. This is the key. And I want people to understand, enforcing boundaries is not telling people no. Enforcing boundaries is telling people where the boundaries are. It's telling people how to treat you. It's saying, don't come to me with that type of stuff. If you need something from me, Here's how you come to me. One of my secretaries when I was a teacher had this, uh, this saying on her desk and I loved it. It was, lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. I love that. Mm. Right? Now, the message I love, the, the, the bite of it is a little bit harsh, right? Mm-hmm. But that's, what you, that's the attitude that you want to have. I'm not responsible for you not planning. I am willing and able when I have time to help you with you not planning, but we're not shifting the fact that you didn't plan into all of a sudden a responsibility on my part. I didn't do that. And I'm not going to take that from you. That's such a huge part. I I have worked with, um, you know, I I live in the West coast and I work for an East coast company and years ago where it's like, well, they would throw a a. 6am my time call on the calendar (laughs) and I would just go, well, okay, I don't want to say no, you know, and you say yes. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes a recurring call. And then there's another recurring call. And then all of a sudden you're doing these 6 AMs and I'm missing sending my kids off to school and I'm missing kissing them goodbye and packing lunches and, you know, or the, the flying somewhere on a Sunday to be there for a month. And it's like you say yes. And then people start to expect it and you start to then feel you can't go back. And, exactly. um, and I love the scheduling piece. Cause that is something I did. I put it a couple of years ago. I just said, that's it. Like I have guardrails and I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to put myself, I'm out of office until a reasonable time, or I'm, I won't do Sunday travel or I won't do mm-hmm. these things that are important to me for the balance of my life, you know, that's exactly. And what it does is it puts you in the driver's seat, right? When we talk about step five, sustaining the transformation, mm-hmm. the basic idea is understanding at all times, you're the decision maker on what you do. We like to displace the blame and it, well, it's because so-and-so asked me or what, but they asked you for a six o'clock meeting. And the reason they kept asking you for a six o'clock meeting is because you kept saying, yes, if you just said no one time, 
They'd have been like, oh, I guess six o'clock meetings don't work. And at least the next time they'd have said, hey, we really need to do a six o'clock meeting. Do you think you can make it? Or what's a better time for you or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and we've all been in these, had these experiences. There are ways to say no that don't make you seem like a jerk. One of the things, right? A six o'clock meeting for you is a nine o'clock meeting on the East Coast. Yeah. That makes sense. That's when normal meetings happen, right? <laughs> and for the East Coast people, we, we don't have clocks in our heads where we're just yeah. like, oh, it's six o'clock on the West Coast they might just not even be thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And just you saying, hey, I know that y'all are, that's nine o'clock for y'all, but that's six o'clock for me. Do you think we could do it a little bit later in the day? Like I can, my, I drop my kids off at 7.30. If we can yeah. do it at eight my time, that'll work. People are like, sure, no problem. Cause we all know this. Nobody's mornings are generally full. If they're setting a, six, a nine o'clock meeting, that means that 10 and 11 are probably open, mm-hmm. but they want to get it out of the way earlier so that they can get to whatever other stuff they've got to do. And if it's not open, there's another day that it is, yeah. right? So it, it's, it's, it's having the courage, again, to not be understood, but that's okay. Because this is what I know. And this is how we overcome the imposter syndrome. This is how we overcome the perfectionism. And this is how we go through and really thrive in the chaos. The reason I got to the chaos, the reason I got to the point where I'm able to lead myself, where I'm not micromanaged, where I'm not underneath everybody else, is because I displayed the fact that I had what it took to be here. Mm-hmm. otherwise I would have never gotten promoted otherwise they would have never seen whatever they saw in me and since that's the case I know that even if they don't understand me right now even if they don't get it right now just give it a little time right you ever seen remember the titans right <laughs> yes <laughs> like Novocaine give it a little time it works it works every time right just let it let it take its time and everywhere I went everywhere I've gone where I've used these principles people have respected the choices that I made. They've respected the fact that I knew what I wanted so they could come to me the right way and it actually expedited what they wanted and them getting what they wanted. Because here's the thing that we don't pay attention to when people are coming to us. They're just as worried about what we're going to say as we're worried about what they're going to think. Because if they really need you, they're already in a situation that's uncomfortable for them. And by having your boundaries set, by understanding what success means to you, by aligning yourself with your priorities and being able to say, this is me and this is how I can help you, you help them to figure it out even faster because they might not even understand what they need from you. And when you tell them what you can give them, that helps, right? You go to a restaurant and they say, here's our special. Now you think about what you want to eat. If you've never been to that restaurant before, when they give you the specials, that's one of the best things ever. You go to the server and you're like, what is there? And they say, okay, well, here's what's good. Here's this. So now you don't have to go through that whole menu and try to read for 30 minutes, figuring out what you want. Yeah. You got a couple of things, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the key. You're facilitating people working with you better. When you're thriving in chaos, people flock to you because you're the shining light in the maelstrom of darkness. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. That's what we want. That's what we try to give. That's the first step on this pathway. The next step is then to start using that light to teach other people how to shine their lights. But the first step is being comfortable shining your light and shining it unencumbered. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to give people with Legacy Leadership Consulting. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I just think that we could have gone on forever. I know. I think there's so many good nuggets. Um, I I want to go through because I 
I wanted to say, I think I, your one book, you know, why can't people just do their jobs? Like I said, it's such an amazing book for leaders, but I love how you've summed up your five steps here. And if I want to make sure I got them right. So defining mm -hmm. success, setting priorities, scheduling, managing interruptions and sustaining transformation. That um, is it. Yes. That is awesome. And I think that, you know, there's so many things for, for working women out there and for all of us, there have been just such great reminders. Like we need to, we need to get a hold of our own lives and our own schedules and our own priorities because time doesn't stop, right? It's going to keep on going. And like our goals just keep on sitting there waiting for us mm -hmm. to have, you know, to go mm -hmm. after them. And, um, yeah, it's been so, so much great information today. So Robert, I want to, turn to you and just ask you, you know, how can people find your book? How can we get a hold of you? How can we find out about your programs that you have? Awesome. Well, thank you for asking. We've got a, a number of things that are coming out. So I'm gonna give people the easiest one. For all of your listeners, one of the things that I want to do, like I said, I'm trying to reach 10,000 legacy leaders, 10 million legacy leaders over the next 10 years. And mm -hmm. so one goal that we have, one thing that we're doing, my book, you can go on Amazon and get it. It's $10 for the paperback, $7.99 for the the ebook, but we're doing a special where if you go to legacyleadershipmastery.com slash book, you can go and read about what the book is about and you can get a free copy. Just download the e-copy um, on okay. the site. Again, that's legacyleadershipmastery.com slash book. And then I also wanted to, for specifically, and, and, and the book is really great for leaders, but for specifically for those of you all that are dealing with that overwhelm, that are dealing with that anxiety, one of the things that I have coming up in the next couple of weeks in my legacy leaders group on Facebook, we're going to be doing a live training where I'm going to be going over these five steps for five nights um, during uh, September. And we're going to do another one in October. So if you join the legacy leaders, hashtag legacy leaders, Facebook group, you can get access to that live training as well. Awesome. I love that so much. I, and I just even think the name thriving in chaos, I mean, chaos will be there. And how yes. do you thrive is so amazing. So yes. Robert, one of the things we ask all of our guests, what does it mean to you to be brave? Yes, for me, being brave is having courage, right? And we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. The whole idea about courage is not that you're not afraid. It's not that you're not dealing with everything coming at you at once. The whole idea of being brave is acting in the face of courage, acting in spite of the courage, and going through it anyway. I love it. That is, that is awesome. You are so inspirational. It was so great talking to you. I hope we can definitely talk again in the future. And um, thank you for sharing all your amazing knowledge and experience, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. And ladies, like I said, you all are an inspiration. I love the, the way that your lights shine. And so thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.